I'm Michael Pauly, and this is Faith and Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, good day, everyone. I'm broadcasting today from Rapid City, South Dakota, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Motes, who is in the studio at the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing really well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm uh, I'm in my uh, home studio, which is right next to Ellsworth Air Force Base, and uh, the uh, B-1 bombers uh, routinely fly over our house, and they're, they're doing that today. So if there's any loud uh, noises from supersonic uh, airplanes, that's... Uh, that's that's just what life is like next to an Air Force base. So, but uh, very happy to be back home in Rapid City after a few weeks of travel. Uh, I've uh, been on on the road for almost two and a half weeks. Started with a conference in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, of all the different state Catholic conference directors. Uh, then traveled to Spokane, Washington for a few days, and from there to Napa, California, uh, for the Napa Institute conference. And uh, I know we have some listeners in other states, and I don't want to denigrate any place that people call home, but I just have to say that it's a relief to be back home in South Dakota. I think sometimes we don't realize what a special place this is until we travel elsewhere and get to experience traffic jams and uh, bad air quality and all that. But with that shameless plug for our home state, uh, let me just dive into our our topic of the day. So we've done a few podcast episodes uh, just focusing on the Dobbs decision and the aftermath as it's playing out in the states, and uh, and and you know as we predicted, uh, you know the battle is now back into the states, and we've experienced some uh, great successes on the life issue, and also some setbacks, which you know we kind of expected uh, would be the case. Um, but one pattern I think we've seen emerge is that. Um, the advocates for you know preserving kind of an unlimited license to legal abortion seem to be going back to a, a very tried and true playbook for them, which is focusing on what we call the hard cases. So you know we're hearing a lot about you know abortion being needed in cases of rape or in cases of incest, in cases where the health of the mother is endangered, and then uh, also in cases where there's a fetus who has disabilities. And I thought. But um, in today's podcast, uh, we would just kind of bring sort of a laser-like focus to that last item on the, the list of hard cases, which is uh, pregnancies involving uh, babies with disabilities. And uh, one of the most common uh, disabilities that um, we sometimes see uh, concerns Down syndrome. And it's estimated that between 60 and 90% of pregnancies involving babies with Down syndrome end in abortion compared to 18% of pregnancies overall. And so clearly preborn children with Down syndrome are among the most abortion vulnerable groups. Um, we need to protect them uh, to ensure they have a chance to be born. And we also, they need a lot of special care and protection after they are born. And so we have a guest for today's show who brings a lot of expertise to the subject of uh, children who experience Down syndrome and providing for their needs. So I'm happy to welcome to our show, Lauren Costabile, who is the founder and executive director of Hearts of Joy International. Lauren, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. 
great. So we obviously want to hear a, a lot about this uh, amazing mission of Hearts of Joy International. But before we get there, uh, maybe you could just share with our listeners a little bit about your background, a little bit about your upbringing, your education, maybe maybe some thoughts about your, your faith life and how that's uh, affected your life journey. Yeah, so I am from New Jersey, so I'm a Jersey girl. Um, I grew up in a big Italian, Catholic, loud family. <laughs> um, some of you can relate to that. Um, but so much joy and so much love um, in our family. And, you know, faith for me was always kind of a checklist growing up. And even as I got a little bit older into college, um, it wasn't until after that when I was in my like mid-20s that I started to experience God in a different way. And I realized the importance of that relationship, mm -hmm. um, that it's not just following the commandments and following these things that your parents tell you, but you have to choose the faith for yourself. Um, and that it's something that God wants to grow in that relationship with you. Um, and I often say it's like talking to a friend. If you want to get closer to that friend, you need to actually speak with them. So it's the same with God uh, and Jesus being in communication. And um, yeah, you do that through prayer and different things in your life. But I started to really grow in that relationship. And he slowly but surely throughout my life was planting the seed um, of working with children with disabilities, in particular Down syndrome throughout my life. But it, it wasn't until I was about like 26 that I said, okay, I get it, God, this is what you want for me. But it was kind of a, a gradual uh, progression. Yeah. And you are, um, I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, a graduate of an institution that I greatly admire, uh, Thomas Aquinas College. Yeah, St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful institution. Mm. Yeah. Lauren, I, I might have yes. to I might have to turn my video off here because I, I cry kind of easily and I'm already starting to get a little <laughs> weepy just hearing the beauty of of this story, Aww. but um, but I you know this this ministry Hearts of Joy International you founded it in 2019. I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about the mission of the organization, but also we're really interested in hearing what inspired it, <laughs> like what was happening in your own heart that gave genesis to this group. Yes. So Hearts of Joy International uh, provides life-saving heart surgery for individuals with Down syndrome. Um, so 50% of them are born with a congenital heart defect um, that requires surgery to repair before they're six months to a year old. Mm. Now, if that is not re repaired at that timely manner, um, it becomes fatal for the child. And so here in America, uh, it's it's pretty routine that the child will get the surgery. They're totally fine. They can live a happy, long, healthy life as long as they get it corrected in that time frame. Um, the issue in other parts of the world, especially in developing countries, which is primarily where we work, um, there's there's a real lack of awareness for people with Down syndrome and also a lack of resources, and there's a great stigma against them because they have a disability. Living in these ancient cultures that don't understand them and don't um, know how to provide for them and also just view them as, as less than, as less valuable than the rest of the world. And so they're not included in society. And so um, my background is in, you know, working with actually adults with disabilities, in particular Down syndrome. For a while, I did recreational therapy. So that's what I studied in college. So that's like music, dance, art therapy. I say all the fun stuff. 
uh, it used to be the fun stuff for me. Now it's the serious medical stuff, but it's okay. Um, but I used to do all the fun stuff with this population. I absolutely loved it. And I remember always seeing that these adults had these big scars on their chests. And I remember asking as a kid, because I volunteered at a camp for children with disabilities when I was 17. And that was my first experience of individuals with Down syndrome. And they just completely stole my heart with their joy and their just infinite love for others. Mm. But I remember I asked the director, like, what is that? And they told me about the heart defect. And I was always intrigued by it. But it just kind of was in my back pocket, never came up. And then in 2017, I went to Uganda Mm. uh, for the first time. And I visited the Down syndrome community there. And I was able to see firsthand that these children, there's nothing in place for them. And it just made me so sad because these are the people I love the most. These are the people I feel that God has called me to serve in this world. And I just couldn't accept that, you know, people didn't understand or accept them, but that they were also not getting this most very basic medical care that we get here in the States, no problem. Um, And so I met a little baby who was six months old. That was the perfect age. I just fell in love with her. So sweet. She had the biggest brown eyes, the most beautiful little face, button nose, and uh, she had three holes in her heart. And so God literally told me to help her. And that's kind of the the inspiration behind the whole thing um, is that I helped this one baby receive that surgery. And um, she was rejected from the hospitals in Uganda solely because she had Down syndrome and a disability. And so she was considered high risk. And so I ended up taking her to a hospital in India. And that's where I learned that that's the most proficient way to get care for people in this part of the world. And so now we work in five countries. We work in Uganda, India, Mexico, the Philippines, and then here in the States, we will counsel women that get that prenatal diagnosis and walk with them through the pregnancy. We'll throw baby showers, um, help connect them with other families of children with Down syndrome. Um, so we do quite a bit, um, but it's just been, yeah, such a beautiful, just such a beautiful gift for me to, to experience all these different cultures. And at the end of the day, like th- these people are kids. They, they want to be loved. They want to be accepted in their their kids mm. <laughs> disability or not, we all desire the same things. And so, yeah, I'm mm. continuing to learn, but it's just been such a joy. Mm. Wow. Mm. Well, thank you. Um, so yeah. you've been in existence for less than four <laughs> years. This is yeah. an incredibly um, complicated, I think it's fair to say this is a complicated mission field, you know, to be in, um, you know, you know, navigating the, um, uh, what's going on in some of these developing countries, um, mm. identifying the people who have the needs, getting them matched with the right providers. This is um, very complicated. Uh, and you've just done incredible things in just under four years. So, but I, I guess I want to just ask, looking forward into the future, like, you know, five years, 10 years from now, uh, what are your hopes for where you'd like to see Hearts for Joy of International be at that time? Yeah, thank you. Um my hope is to, you know, continue to provide this care for as many children as possible, but really that education piece and shouting this above the rooftops that these children have value and seeing a world where we understand that as a whole globally. Um, it's a big goal, but I really know that anything is possible for God. And like through this ripple effect of, you know, Mother Teresa always talks about that and I love her, um, of just 
doing what you feel that God has called you to do and making that little drop in the ocean. That's how I feel I'm making an impact through the staff in these countries that work with us and through our team and like the mothers that we work with and the families that we work with. It's just, I would love to see that ripple continue until the end of time where then everyone understands these children and, and can just openly love them and there's no more stigma. And, um, but yeah, I would really see, I would love to see a world where these children can live a full and happy life and they don't have to worry about, um, about anything or not being able to get the care that they so very much deserve. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. So, yeah. Lauren, there are so many, we know there are just so many of these children that, that need help yet your resources are, are limited. Um, and it's, I think, uh, just not possible at this point in time to help every single one of them. You know, and we think of maybe this being a bit overwhelming and, and there's this quote from mother Teresa that, that comes to mind because she was faced with a similar um, sort of situation and people asked her about this. And here's what she she said. She said, I never look at the masses as my responsibility. I look at the individual. I can only love one person at a time. Just one, one, one. So you begin. I began. I picked up one person. Maybe if I didn't pick up that one person, I wouldn't have picked up 42,000. So is, I guess my question is, is this the approach that, that you've chosen to take to help one person at a time and then challenge others to do the same? How do you look at it? Yeah, I think that that is a beautiful way of viewing it because you can get so overwhelmed with the need. The need is very great and the need is everywhere. And people are constantly asking us to help them, even in other countries where we're not. But I personally and what I try to strive for both individually and within my team is exactly what you said, loving that one person and um, making a deep impactful difference in their life because that is what is going to change the world that's what's going to change people's mind you work with one family in a rural village in uganda that thinks that their child is cursed and we tell them the truth no this child is a gift from god the child's been given to you for a reason and it's a blessing and you're going to learn so much from this child and you're going to grow together and have a beautiful life um they then say whoa i've never heard that before but you're right, you know, because we we don't just say things or educate. We walk with the people. We we walk the talk and we or whatever that saying is, we, we do what we say. And I think that's also something that sets us apart from other organizations is like we are heavily um, interested in the relationship with our families because that's where you make the greatest impact. And I always talk about depth. I mean, we could be in every country in the world and that would mm-hmm. be amazing. I hope one day. We have the finances and the resources to help every single country in the world. But right now we're in five of them. What are we doing in those five? We're taking it one day at a time, one child at a time, one family at a time, and making a deep, uh, impactful difference in their lives that will radiate, you know, the rest of their their lives here on earth, that they continue um, to share that with, with everyone around them. Yeah. So, Lauren, um, I don't think anyone would question that the the greatest need um, for the the mission you're doing exists in the developing countries where so many of the people are are underserved by the healthcare system, where health insurance is not uh, commonplace. But I'm just curious, in the course of your work, um, have you become aware uh, and I don't know what what the case is. Is are are there a significant number of people in the United States and other developed countries who, because of not being insured, um, 
are not able to get these surgeries that are needed? What, what's your what's the state of affairs on that? So here in America, um, even if you're on Medicaid or Medicare, most people will be able to get that procedure covered. So we will help more with the emotional piece of it here or helping to connect them with a hospital that will help provide this service or the logistical arm of it. Whereas in the developing countries, they absolutely will not provide the service unless you have the money up front. Um, And for our families, that's completely out of reach. Um, And just to give you an example of like, specifically in Uganda, one uh, US dollar is something like 3,500 shillings. And just to get, yeah, just to get a medical exam of like a heart scan uh, is something like 15, uh, I'm sorry, like 15 US dollars, but it's about 50,000 shillings. And for our families, that's, that's a lot. So yes. you can't imagine what it would be uh, for a whole heart surgery. It, it's, it's too much um, for our families, but a beautiful part of our program that I really pride myself on is that we do encourage them to pay for something because uh, we're not interested in just giving free handouts. We don't want to make it difficult for people, but um, with this is a whole nother conversation about poverty, but we're looking to empower them and dignify them as parents and caretakers that this is their child um, and that they have to have a piece in that. They have to be a part of providing for their care. And they do, without a doubt, these families amaze me every time. People will sell their goats, they'll sell their chickens and they do it to pay for a passport or to pay for a portion of of our program. And it just continues to amaze me every time because then that that shows me our program's working. Because if they didn't care about the child, they, they wouldn't put in the effort. But we yeah. help them to see like th- the gift that the child is. And so then they they do, they put the work in and they go above and beyond. And it's just amazing to see the difference in, in the families. I mean, of course, in the child, the the surgery literally saves their life. And it's incredible to see that difference of when they're incredibly sick, almost dying to completely fine. It's miraculous, honestly. Um, But for me, it's also such a joy to see the the shift in the parents' hearts. Wow. Um, Yeah. Wow. Well, um, I'm thinking back to that quote, uh, Chris, that you just read from Mother Teresa, you know, about how she started by picking up one person. And I'm, I'm just going to guess that there's probably some people in our listening audience today who are thinking, you know, well, I want to be the, the I want to be the one who picks up one person and helps one person in front of me. So uh, for people who are interested in supporting uh, your mission, uh, where, where can they go? How can they help? Yes, you can visit our website, which is www.heartsofjoyinternational.com. Um, you could donate there. There are other ways to get involved, different fundraisers, or uh, we have an Amazon wish list of all therapy supplies and uh, things for the children that we use in the hospitals for um, care packages for them. And there are a number of ways that you can get involved or get in touch with us there. And then also on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook, um, just at Hearts of Joy International. So we'd love for you to Join along on our journey um, and stay in touch with us. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Lauren, I'm just really struck by the beauty of this, that it's, um, mm-hmm. it's really an education. I mean, you're doing very practical, concrete things in making lives better, but there's also an education in love that, that all human beings are made by love for love 
that that's the source of our dignity is that we're made in the image of God. And it's, I'm just struck that this is in complete contrast to this ethic that we receive from the world sometimes mm. that um, it's a utilitarian ethic that, that actually our value is, as human beings comes from what we can do, what we can create, um, sort of our economic potential, if you will. And, mm. and people with disabilities just sort of shatter this ethic because they, you know, it's, their lives don't make sense according to this ethic. That, that they can't, um, you know, there's not a utilitarian value there. And of course, it's such a profoundly unchristian ethic that uh, it goes right in the face of, of this um, belief that we have that no, value is inherent in human life, all human life, because we're made in God's image. So my question is, has your work given you, um, just in these last few years, any new insights about how to uh, combat this utilitarian ethic of the human person and, you know, any ideas about how we can um, move hearts, even those of our fellow citizens who might not be Christians, how we might be able to move hearts to see that all, all, all people, including people with disabilities, are precious in the eyes of God. Yeah, you know, I often um, speak about this because you're absolutely right. You touched on a very, like, important point because we're not what we do. God mm. didn't create us to get something from us or um, we like exist and we have value solely because God created us. And that goes for everyone. Um, I think personally through this work and through um, the opportunities that I've had, it's, it's experience, it's relationship, it's encounter with people that are differently abled um, because I guess I didn't have any real experience or any encounters before I was 17 years old. So now looking back, I'm like, I can't even imagine that that world when I didn't know people with Down syndrome or have this experience. But I think that mindset is, is ingrained in the thought of what can I gain from you or what can I get from you almost use. And we know that that's definitely not the Christian perspective, um, but even just from a human level, it's it's not what can I gain from you or what are you going to do for me or what are you going to do for the world or how successful or how much money or no, solely because you are a human person created by God, the father, like you have value. And I think just by encountering people or sharing our lives like me, sharing about this mission that I that I do like hopefully someone listening would be like, wow, I never thought of it that way. Or I've, I've, you know, maybe they've never experienced someone with Down syndrome, but I think we can hear all these things about people with disabilities. Oh, they're not going to do this. They're not going to do that. They're not going to contribute, but it's like, what are they going to do? They're going to do something and their life has purpose. Even if they're just laying in a wheelchair their entire life and they're nonverbal and they can't speak or communicate, God still created that human being for a purpose. And I think as a society, we just, we need to, uh, we need to know that mm. and, and not to find people by the things that they can't do, but what can they do? Even if it's just, just smile, they can do that. And we need to see that as, as purposeful. Mm. I could go on and on about this forever, but <laughs> For the sake of time, I will stop. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you, Lauren. That was that was beautiful. And you know, as I listened to you talk about the dignity of these uh, children who have disabilities, I I can't but hear, I can't help but hear echoes of um, 
Dr. Jerome Lejeune, you know, who mm. I know is a name very familiar to you uh, and probably to many of our listeners, but for, for those in our audience who are not uh, familiar, uh, Dr. Jerome Lejeune was a French geneticist who discovered that Down syndrome is uh, the result of the third replication of the 21st chromosome in, in the human uh, genome. And that's that's one of the reasons why another name for Down syndrome is uh, trisomy 21. Um, but Dr. Lejeune was just a, he was a very uh, faithful Catholic and also a passionate <laughs> defender of those with Down syndrome, both before and after birth. And I'm just wondering, you know, to what extent Dr. Lejeune's legacy might have been an inspiration for your own work in this field, Lauren? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he's on his way to canonization, I think. So I'm like, yes, hopefully we'll finally have a patron saint of Down syndrome. Um, always prayed to him for his intercession anyway until he becomes that. But absolutely, I've read his books and I've actually uh, been blessed to connect with his family because he has a foundation, the Le Jerome, Le, Jerome Lejeune Foundation that helps continue the legacy of his work. And I just, yeah, I think he, I mean, the fact that he discovered this, we often joke in the community that they should change the name to the Lejeune syndrome rather than down, because most people don't know that uh, they, they associate down with something bad, but it's actually just the person's name. It was another um, scientist that I think they discovered around the same time or different ways that they discovered it, but his name was Langdon Down, Dr. Langdon Down. So that's why it's called Man. down syndrome. Um, but I'm like, oh, we should just petition to change it to Lejeune syndrome because, well, he was Catholic. And also I just think he's better. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I think the way that he, he fought for these children and advocated for them to help better their lives, but also was incredibly pro-life and Catholic um, is really inspiring to me. And I hope one day to be able to go to his canonization in Rome that day. And um, yeah, and the legacy that he's left with his foundation, I mean, they're doing incredible things and yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're just wonderful. Yeah. He's very inspiring for many reasons, but I think the way that he dignified these people, um, these individuals, I think is just something that I try to yeah learn from and um, yeah. aspire to be as well. Yeah. And I think, um, uh, I think he is now, his title is Venerable. Is, is that Okay. Correct? Yeah, Venerable I don't actually know. Yeah. So, um, the, he's you know, on his way. Yeah, he's on his way. Um, and yeah. uh, some some miracles will have to be uh, attributed to his uh, intercession. So, you know, that's something that, uh, you yeah. know, listeners can keep in mind uh, to uh, uh, pray for uh, the Venerable, the, Venerable Jerome Lejeune's uh, intercession uh, on special needs, and uh, mm -hmm. you can help uh, participate in advancing the canonization of uh, Dr. Lejeune. Look, look, yeah. Lauren, I know that um, when you speak with parents of children with Down syndrome, they they always tell you about the unique gifts that their children bring to the world. Can you share with our listeners what some of these gifts are? Because I know that they're just, they're, they're really special. Mm. Yeah, I think um, any parent you talk to, you might get a mixed, mixed review on how they got that diagnosis or the experience that they went through to, to almost grieve what they thought this child was going to be or what they thought this child was supposed to be. And then the reality of 
of the child that God gave them. I mean, any parent will tell you it's the greatest blessing in their life. And not only as a parent, but to the siblings, to other people in the family, I think these children just love in such an unconditional way. And I know that sounds cliche, um, but they're, they're so close to Jesus in the sense where they don't care what we're wearing. They don't care what we do for a living. They don't care what our hair looks like. Like they just love you. They can, they have this like superhuman way of like just looking into your heart and, and seeing you for who you truly are, who God created you to be. Um, that that's just something that I've taken away f from working with them is like, wow, I really strive to be like that because, you know, we have the choice to like hate people or to judge people or to say, you know what, I don't like this person's behavior. And, and I'm not saying, you know, individuals with Down syndrome are perfect by any means, you know, they're human, they have their things as well, but there is something inherent that I, I like in their hearts, the way that God created them, that we don't have, that we can learn so much from. And then the joy, the joy that they bring. I mean, it's it's why I call it hearts of joy, because I was thinking of what is the word that I, that totally encompasses the lives of those with Down syndrome. And in prayer, God kept telling me it's joy. Like you need to show the joy of these children rather than, you know, what everyone thinks or fears or, you know, when you get that diagnosis and there's so many unknowns and doctors are saying, I'm sorry, rather than congratulations. So, you know, I really feel that it's my duty to, to, to show the joy and the gift and the love that these children are. Um, and I've experienced that countless times over in any country in the world. It's, it's not just here. It's, it's across the board. Like these children are just a true gift. And my prayer is that everyone in this world can come to, to see that. Wonderful. Wonderful. You know, Lauren, before our broadcast today, we had a discussion about how sometimes we can even unintentionally um, create a stigma surrounding people with uh, who have Down syndrome or other disabilities just by the words that we use to uh, talk about them. And I'm just wondering if you can share briefly some examples of kind of the, the right way and the wrong way um, to, to talk about our, uh, our neighbors who have disabilities. Yeah, I think language around these issues is very important. Um, and so within the Down syndrome community or even the disabilities community, we use something called first person language. So rather than saying uh, a Down syndrome infant or a Down syndrome teenager, you would say an infant with Down syndrome. We identify them as their personhood first, as a human being first, who has dignity and value, and then comes the condition. So that's something that, um, yeah, I just love to educate people on because it's it's not for lack of respect or anything malicious. It's just a lack of awareness for knowing that that is the way that we should be addressing people. And that goes with anything, not just Down syndrome or disabilities. Just when you're describing a person or something about the person, you want to you want to identify them as the person first, because we know that Down syndrome or anything in this world, that doesn't define us. We're defined by the fact, like I said, that we're created by God and that we're a human person first. Um, and so that is just something that, yeah, I would love to see everyone using first person language as well when talking about this. So wonderful. we can wonderful. always grow and learn. And that's the beautiful thing about this life is that wonderful. we're constantly on a journey. So mm -hmm. wonderful. 
Well, Lauren, we're, we're almost at the end of our uh, discussion yeah. time here, but uh, I've just really enjoyed this uh, conversation with you. And uh, uh, just one more time for any of our mm-hmm. listeners who are interested in this mission and want to support your work, uh, what is the, the web address that they need to go to? Thank you. It's www.heartsofjoyinternational.com. Awesome. You Wonderful. can find us there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. We're grateful for your time and uh, just want to thank you and uh, also uh, Chris there in Sioux Falls and uh, Casey Bassett, our our production expert there who keeps us all organized. Uh, It's been a real great discussion today. And uh, until we meet again, live well. 